We all value intelligence, cognitive intelligence, emotional intelligence, social intelligence. But what about aesthetic intelligence? Why don't we ever talk about that? And what even is aesthetic intelligence? Join Pauline Brown, longtime luxury goods leader and founder of Aesthetic Intelligence Labs, as she invites her friends from the worlds of fashion, beauty, and design to discuss the power and purpose of aesthetic intelligence. We live in a world in which people clearly don't need more stuff. If anything, we're all trying to get rid of stuff. But there is something we all still very much need, and that is to feel alive, get inspired, discover new ways to express who we are. All that emanates from aesthetic intelligence. It's one of the few things left that doesn't rely on technology, and that's why I call it the other AI. For more on the power of the other AI, here's Pauline Brown. Hello, welcome back to the other AI. This is Pauline Brown. I am here as usual with my dear friend, my business partner, Paola Oriel. Paola, great to see you. Hi, Pauline. Great to see you too. How are you? So we are going to talk about something that uh, goes well beyond this world of AI that we talk about. I mean, it's front and center in AI, but I think this is a very universal topic. Uh, and it's one that's been plaguing me as, as, as someone who had spent a good part of her career in the fashion industry. I've gone through this period where I don't enjoy fashion. Uh, some of it is a change in lifestyle. You know, I used to have a very glamorous job and now I have not such a glamorous job. And I used to be out and about uh, going to black tie affairs every evening. Uh, I never go to black tie affairs anymore. And if I'm invited, I don't even want to go. Uh, some of it is COVID related. I think we all kind of had to rethink how we make it through the day and the need to have comfort. And most things that are designed in the spirit of high fashion are just not comfortable. So here I am coming out the other side of this and, um, and, two things uh, have been on my mind. I mean, one is I don't want to stay in this athleisure lycra rut that I've been in for two years. I don't want to stay there anymore. So I know that I need something else. I know that I'm ready to express myself again. I also don't want to go back to my old wardrobe. And then on top of everything else, uh, I moved, as you know, well, Paula, about two weeks ago, and I moved after living for 15 years in uh, the suburbs of New York back into the heart of Manhattan. And um, there are many benefits to this relocation. One of them though is not storage, <laughs> meaning the lack of storage was a huge trade-off. So I had hundreds of items from the good old days and I just, I, I wanted to cry. I didn't know what to do with them. I can't repurpose them. I ended up, uh, you know, sending many off to real, real. But the reason I'm bringing all this up is a top of mind for me. Uh, and before we get into some of the things that Paula and I have been learning from some experts this last week, but top of mind for me is what does good style look like on the other end of this pandemic and this lifestyle change and this uh, both need to uh, live more efficiently, more streamlined, but also more stylish. I mean, I'm more visible when I'm in the city than I am in the suburbs. So that's my spiel. And again, before we get into this, Paula, where are you? You are on the other side of the Atlantic. You're living sort of between Spain and Portugal. What is fashion? What does fashion mean to you in this moment of time? So I think I'm in a similar situation as you. As you know, I've been moving around a lot. Uh, we're working remotely. Uh, the pandemic just uh, passed. I'm finally moving to Lisbon. 
So on the one hand, I'm lucky enough. I, I'm so I feel so fortunate because I finally curated all my wardrobe through all my moving. So I finally just have the things that I need with me, which is something that hasn't happened in years because I had so much clothes that I was always storing in just the like with the, the this sentence of just in case. So I don't have anything for just no in case no anymore. just in case. So everything no, you have you can wear. That's wonderful. Exactly. Yes. Does everything you have right now, would you put it in the classification of things you enjoy? Completely. Yes. Yes. So you like your, so you feel good. You feel good about your wardrobe. I feel good about my wardrobe, but now I need more things because I, I eliminated all the things that I didn't use and I found um, new needs within my wardrobe. Mm. So you can at least see the holes and you can yes. have room to re repopulate. Mm -hmm. So, um, okay, well, that, that is a great segue to our, our guest expert who is not joining us on the show. She did join us at a Aesthetic Intelligence Labs Tastemaker conversation that we had recently. She is a longtime stylist. Uh, she actually started as a costume designer. Her name is Cynthia Gardner. She now lives in Boston, but she's been in LA and New York. Through all sorts of circumstances, she found her calling in broadcast TV and her biggest break, she's worked with many celebrities and high profile television personalities. Her biggest break, though, was Katie Couric. She could be credited with taking Katie Couric, who is sort of America's sweetheart, but looked very girly, girly and a little cutesy and pixie ish into a much more elegant era and more appropriate, when, especially when she was transitioning to the evening news from the daytime or the morning. I decided I was going to use this woman who not only is a great stylist, she has an amazing eye, uh, who understands fabric because she started in the world of costume design, but she also works uh, with many clients um, nowadays, less high profile than Katie Couric, on how to curate their closet. And so we, we picked her brain and I thought we would uh, go through some of the things that she shared with us. And I just want to get, as we're talking about her, uh, Cynthia's tidbits, I wanted to get your um, thoughts, Paula, on which one of these topics resonated, which ones you might disagree. I mean, it's not like she has, you know, a Nobel prize in the topic. This is sort of an area where we're all kind of making it up as we go. She, but she certainly has a clear point of view. So the first thing um, that I wanted to come back to, and it was the first question I asked her because she, for, she's been doing this for decades and she walks into somebody's home and usually before she ever goes shopping um, or suggests an outfit for an event or for everyday wear, before she does any of this, she wants to see what they own and she wants to get to know who they are with in mind that how she might dress the likes of a Katie Couric are very different than how she would dress, for example, James Taylor, who also, the singer, is also a client of hers or has been over the years. Um, she's dressed professional athletes. So they all, she had, she, her goal is always to make them their best self. So I asked her, well, how do you even start, given that you don't have a formula that can be applied time and again? And she said something really interesting that I, I again, I want to get your reaction, Paula, that she, um, starts by asking people to send her or hand her a picture of themselves in which they really like how they look. And she said, sometimes they even send it to her in their pictures where they're with families and friends. And she prefers it that way because she feels she, as she put it, uh, she can glean a wealth of information from these photographs. And she looks at how people live. She looks at what, 
would be their ideal for who they are through their eyes. I thought that was very interesting. What was your reaction to that, Paula? If I had asked, if you if you had seen the question before she answered it, would that have been in your mind a um, a good starting point? Or were you surprised by her answer? Uh, no, I think it was a great starting point. Thinking about it, uh, your style has to represent your lifestyle. So through the pictures, and especially through through pictures with family and friends, I think she understands uh, her client's lifestyle. I would have maybe also imagined another approach because I think this picture, they represent who they are at the moment. Mm-hmm. And I would have maybe imagined her uh, asking her clients, who do you want to be? Yes. What sort yes. of protection of your best self. Which is uh, similar to an exercise we do at Aesthetic Intelligence Labs around the style icon. One of the things mm-hmm. we ask um, our students really early on is if there was one person, living or dead, famous or not, uh, someone you've met or never will and have, but this one person who best captures your ideal, your ideal, uh, and, and, and when I think of style, it isn't just how they dress, it's a whole way of movement, it's a whole attitude, it's you know a hairdo, it's everything, how it all comes together. And it is so interesting. I mean, we can talk later about some of the things we've both noted by the style icons people pick and how that's changed over time. Um, but you're right. She grounds it in a much more practical thing, not so much who you would dream to be, but within your ra- or your frame of reference, like w- w- what's, what's the best you you've known? Mm-hmm. So another question I asked her, and this goes back to something I said at the uh, the introduction of the show, is, you know, I always see this trade-off between practicality and aesthetics. Aesthetics doesn't have to be uncomfortable or practical or, or impractical, but it more often than not is because what makes it so exquisite, whether it's how the delicacy with which it's made and the tailoring, or it's the colorfulness and the vibrancy, it makes it harder to wear in some way. So I sort of asked her, so what do you, how do you reconcile that getting a wardrobe that people can actually wear every day, your clients, um, and one that is really special and stand out, but maybe harder for the average person to, to pull off. And, um, and here too, she surprised me a bit, but I think it speaks to how practical she is by nature, Boston, Bostonian that she is. She said, um, she doesn't think there needs to be a trade-off and that actually one of her favorite ensembles which is not my favorite ensemble, but it is hers, and I'm willing to listen here, is a pair of jeans with a white T-shirt and a fun pair of shoes. And she's like all about the white T-shirt. Now, for the record, I do not have one white T-shirt. <laughs> do you have a white T-shirt, Paula? I have a lot. You do? I love white yes. Oh, you do love them. Okay, so now I have to just stay with the white T-shirt. Do you love them because they're practical or do you love them because they just look great? I love them because a white t-shirt of a good material looks great, I think. Mm. Okay, so here's my pet peeve on t-shirts. Um, and I actually had an argument with my, my boyfriend over the weekend on this. So I only like V-necks. I only mm. like V-necks. I really don't like, I guess they call them boat necks. I'd say round necks. And he was making fun of me for calling it round neck. Guys have this visceral reaction 
to V-necks on guys. <laughs> most guys are not into V-necks. That to me would be the biggest eliminator. Like, and most t-shirts I see out there are that kind of high round neck, which I find so unflattering. I agree with you, but I never wore those t-shirts. They have so you do a wear longer v. neck. Okay. <laughs> a wider open. Or a wider uh, neck, not okay. the ones you're talking about, which is the standard t-shirt. No yeah. way. <laughs> like a Hanes white t-shirt. Forget yeah. about it. Okay. So, so I'm going to give, uh, that is going to be on my to-do, but she loves white t-shirts. Um, and the other thing she loves more than, um, more than I, 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 I'm closer on this one is she's like, Everyone needs a lot of black pants. She's like at least four or five. Now I have two pairs of black pants and I never wear them. Are you a, a black pants wearer? I am. <laughs> so I'm more <laughs> on her side. Please. You're her. I don't disagree with her, but I, I find, um, and, and again, maybe it's, it's me and my issue and I have to get over it. Like I will never feel better in pants than I will feel in a skirt or dress. I wear pants, but to me, mm -hmm. that's the practical, not the aesthetic. Mm -hmm. So, okay. So let's go back to the basics. Cause a lot of people there, there are the fashionistas out there, you know, my 18 year old daughter who just can fill up their closet. They can buy things on you know, Depop and all the things online. And, and she's got a cute little figure and she makes everything work. Um, but there's a lot of waste in that. Cause there's a lot of stuff in that closet. And you and I are both of the mind where we want to live much more streamlined. And she had some, I think she had some good points, Cynthia, on, uh, on eliminating waste. I mean, one of the things she said, which I really appreciate, is she said, nothing in your closet should be stowed away as you said Paula that you used to do stowed away just in case nothing so everything you have should have multiple purposes so if it if you were waiting for that one occasion that that was perfect for you got to find another way to repurpose that so that you can wear it for other occasions and I thought that was true I thought that was good because so many items you end up buying particularly those things you buy like on a whim are um, very specific I remember in fact, once walking into a store and seeing it was a sweet shirt in this kind of cheerful yellow, which I never wear, never wear yellow. And I thought to myself, oh, that'll be great for the next Vuvkiko polo match, which, by the way, is once a year <laughs> on one day. And I haven't even gone for a couple of years now. So the idea that I bought it because it'd be good for one event that I haven't even been invited back to, like that was a waste. So I like her point about multi-purpose. That one I'm going to subscribe to. There's another one that she taught me. And I want to know what you have to say about this. And this flies in the face of the industry that I have worked in and that I still have some involvement in. And that is Logomania. She will not let her clients buy a handbag or anything else with a prominent logo. She says, if you're going to wear, if you're going to serve as their billboard, they should be paying you. And I think she's spot on about that. I think it's really, um, I think it's really a cheap look to wear something that's so obviously that brand. How do you feel, Paula? I, I completely agree. I think the brand has to speak through the materials, the quality, the shape, not through the logo. Yeah. And it's a hard one because a lot of times we're attracted to things, you know, these 
big logo companies are very clever in their marketing. And I know, cause I've been the marketer for them they're, but they're, they're very clever. And I've certainly worked with them at sort of make, having you associate being in, being hip, being cool with that logo instead of everything else that they're actually selling. And you pay a lot for that name association. So that's something I, uh, I stopped a long time ago, but I'm, more and more inclined, any sort of uh, remnant pieces I have from the days where I worked in that industry, you know, much more uh, front and center. I just want to, I want to get rid of it. I want to get rid of it. So then we moved on to a topic and here she and I are completely in sync. And it's something you've, you and I've talked about. Uh, we talked about it on the AR actually about the sneaker culture. And she said, I know, you know, that it's becoming a thing. I know that they're a lot more stylish now than they were years past. She said, but as far as I'm concerned, I will never walk out of the house in sneakers unless I'm going to the gym. And you know what? I'm there too. I'm there too. What, what are you thinking? Are you, are you, are you becoming part of the sneaker culture? This is where I disagree with her. <laughs> so tell me, tell I me more. Sneakers. I love sneakers. I think they are getting more and more versatile and attractive. And I think more and more you can wear them at work in elegant and smart events. And I think it makes sense. Uh, mm. If you think about the high, really uncomfortable heels where people like women can't even walk with, uh, it, it's going back to your conversation about aesthetics and utility. And you're right. I mean, the other day I was going out to dinner and in the city, not only do you walk more, than you do in the suburbs, I just jump in the car. So here I'm not gonna do that. But the streets are hard, right? They're, they're all cement. So it's a harder walk. And I was wearing shoes that I don't even think of as particularly uncomfortable. Um, by the end of the evening, I was in such excruciating pain. I really was in pain. And I thought as good as those shoes may look, um, my facial expression cannot look good. So I am more and more willing to trade off. However, um, you have a better excuse for wearing sneakers than I do because you are very tall. What are you like? <laughs> five, nine, five, 10. So you don't need height. And like, I feel like every inch, I mean, I'm not short, I'm average, but every extra inch makes me feel so much more impressive. <laughs> so I don't think I'll ever quite, quite be in your camp, but maybe I'll be less strident uh, against sneakers than I've been. No, but you're right about that because uh, sometimes I'm jealous about people who can wear heels because, uh, and I forgot, like the reason why I don't wear heels is my height too. So I've yeah. gotten used to You know what? <laughs> I'd do anything for an extra few inches. Uh, I really would. Um, so she made another funny comment and it's a nice segue from the sneaker comment about um, why she loves and I would say she didn't go so far as to say prefers, but I'm going to say prefers dressing men than dressing women. And, uh, I, and, and, and she has clients who are both men and women. But she said, you know, I've never had a client in all my years, a male client, walk out of the fitting room and ask whether he looks fat in this. And she's like, it just, you know, for them, if they're going and they look good, it, it, they do it with joy and with ease. And I was thinking back to that, like, it is probably the first thing that goes in my mind every time I try things on, like, does this make me look fat? I hate it. I, I hate myself for thinking that it is so ingrained. So I'm going to take that narrative out of my head 
if I can. <laughs> but I do think she made a good point that shopping should be fun. We should look at it as something where we can, you know, come out of that dressing room with a little extra, you know, lift, not with a, you know, that weight that comes from that, 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 that heavy question, that unfair question. So one question that, that I asked her, and this is something um, that you and I, like, we've never talked about it, but, you know, you, you were in Europe, I'm in New York, we um, are on the Zoom together several times a week. And essentially, we're like on TV for one another. We have no audience other than each other, but sometimes we have an audience of, you know, our students. And I asked her, like, what did you learn all those years dressing Katie Couric and others on television about what works well in um, what they call in TV, in TV, in the frame of TV. Uh, and because no, almost no one who is dressing for Zoom now is trained to know what looks good as opposed to what looks good in real life. And she made this important point about how, you know, when, um, when you're working for television people, it's all about drawing the viewer up to the face, drawing their eyes up to your face. So necklines are important. She, um, you know, is a is is very um, clear. Like you want to avoid distractions, and that the same would go for probably distractions in the backdrop. You want it to be pleasant, but you want the focus to be the face. Um, what what did did that make you think differently, Paula, or were you already on that page with regards to Zoom dressing? Uh, no, it was a it was something very useful to know that I, I hadn't thought about. And also, she also mentioned the fact that wearing cashmere out of mm. any other material reflects light. So it will make you look, it will uh, make you look better on screen because it will make you shine. Mm. And mm. I, I like that. Yeah, no, that was interesting. Mm -hmm. And I think implicit in that is, you know, and she, she says I'm a fabric snob because she thinks, you know, she's her one bit of advice was buy the best fabric your money will allow. She gave a lot of other advice. She talked about boots. She talked about coats, about scarves. What was the one thing that, if, if you were to remember one thing uh, that most resonated with you and maybe even most transformed your thinking about curating your own closet, what was it? I think it was the importance of a good bra. Yeah, I knew you were going to say that because I was going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> and how uh so worrying like the good foundations and a good bra can even take you take two inches of your your waist mm -hmm. uh, which is true and how how you look depends on what you put on first so true it's on, it's a matter of layers mm -hmm. and what she didn't say because she was being polite but i think inherent in that comment is that the vast majority of women um are not investing properly in bras um, either they're not fit properly or, you know, there's clearly that, you know, bras are expensive. In fact, if, if you, you know, like look at it objectively, you say for that small bit of merchandise, you can pay, you know, 50, $60. Um, but they're actually complicated. They're complicated to do well. And I know from my experience, like a good bra lasts a lot better than a bad bra. And when you have like a bad bra that's not lasting, it really isn't doing you any justice. So look, she, she was uh, so fun to talk to and she had a wealth of knowledge. What we didn't get to in the short time we had covering uh, her style tips was, and it's something I want to come back to, but how you pull it all together in the closet 
so that you organize what you have in a way that is user-friendly and that kind of creates uh, a joyfulness when you walk in your closet, not just when you put on the clothes, but when you actually walk in and you're deciding what to wear for the day. I think that is a, an art and a science unto itself. Uh, so we will have to pick up on that, com on, on, on that particular conversational thread. Um, Paula, for people who want to learn more about aesthetic intelligence labs and maybe even want to tune in to that particular uh, tastemaker conversation we did, where can they go? So we'll be posting a blog post on the topic this week. So you can go to aestheticintelligencelabs.com. Uh, you'll have the article there and also subscribe to our newsletter where we send you weekly tips on these right. tastemaker conversations. Great. Well, thank you. Thank you, as always, uh, to Paola, my partner, my thought uh, thought partner and business partner, uh, and to David Idle, our, our producer, our sound guy. He, he does it all. Uh, you have been listening to The Other AI. This is Pauline Brown. Look forward to reconnecting soon. Mm -hmm.